Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. God is on the move, and there are so many divine things that the Lord is doing right now. An eternal perspective gives us eyes to see God working and the kingdom of God progressing on earth. Cheryl's message titled, Living with an Eternal Perspective. The Son of God, He died for my sins and rose again from the dead. And He is the resurrection and life. And because He lives, I too will live. And we let it go deep into our heart. And then it begins to spring up and begin to grow and takes over our heart. Faith begins to take over And when faith begins to take over, it uproots the mountains of sin that we could not deal with in our own life. Faith gets rid of it. Why? Because faith has an eternal perspective again. Faith says, this is not my home. I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Eternity is now in my heart and I am going to heaven. And I don't want to let these trivial earthly things Keep me back from all the heavenly rewards. I'm going to heaven. Jesus then gives another parable to show what active faith looks like in verses 7 through 10. And he says, this is what it is. It is like servants who are obsessed with the work and pleasure of their master. They live to serve and to bless the master. That's what their whole lives are about. Their lives are not about when do we get to eat? When do we get to rest? When do we get to sit down? It's about obedience of the master's will. It's about doing the master's work. And it's about pleasing the master. This is what they're preoccupied with. And With an eternal perspective, we are occupied. This is what faith does. Faith makes us preoccupied with the master's will, with the master's work, with the master's pleasure, because we are going to someday be in the presence of the master. And when we get in his presence and he begins to commend us, For the things we did on earth, we'll say, Lord, it was nothing. You gave us the power. You gave us the blueprints. You gave us the opportunity. We're just unworthy servants. It was your love. It was your power. It was your field, your strength, your work. Faith empowers us. That's the eternal perspective. Now, We have an eternal perspective on the divine work of Jesus in our life. Verses 11 through 19. 
We're told of these 10 lepers that see Jesus afar off as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's passing through these, this village. These lepers call out and say, Jesus, son of David, showing the messianic title, have mercy on us. And Jesus says to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they turn and as they're going, obeying the word of Jesus, they begin to look down and see that they are being cleansed as they obey. They are being cleansed. And one, a Samaritan, turns around and in a loud voice begins to glorify God. He falls at Jesus' feet and he begins to thank Jesus. And Jesus says, wait, weren't, weren't there 10 of you? And he says, yes. He says, where are the other nine? And he says, I don't know, but I'm here. And Jesus commends the Samaritan's faith. Now, notice that it was in obedience that they were healed. It's as they followed the word of Jesus. As they obeyed the word, the healing came. And you know, as we've come to Christ and we begin to obey the word, healing comes into our lives. Emotional healing, mental healing, physical healing, this healing. But you see, the one with an eternal perspective recognizes this is divine. I don't deserve this. This is the mercy of the Lord. You see, too many times we're like, Lord, you know, where's my coffee? I'm awake. You know, Lord, where's my blessings? I'm at church. Lord, where's my answer to prayer? I prayed, you know? But an eternal perspective recognizes I'm not worthy of anything. You know, I've been, the Samaritan was considered disqualified, dismissed, degraded from the promises of God. And because of that, he saw the mercy of Jesus in healing him. He saw the glory of the healing that took place as he obeyed the word. And he was filled with thankfulness. He had to turn back and fall at Jesus' feet and glorify God. You see, an eternal perspective shows us, yes, our unworthiness. But in showing us our unworthiness, it shows us the glory of Jesus to work on our behalf, to give us his word, and to heal us as we obey, to work in us. And, you know, an eternal perspective allows you to begin to see right now the divine work of the Lord in your life. Like, wow, that's divine. That's divine. I have a car that works. That's divine. Broke down two weeks ago and wouldn't start on us. So every day when it starts, I'm like, this is divine. It shows us the divine work. The fact that, you know, I'm still married to Brian. That's divine. That we're happy with each other. That's divine. That we love each other. That's divine. There's so many divine things that the Lord is doing. And an eternal perspective helps us to see the glory of God, the kingdom of God right now on earth and how God is working and what he is doing. Finally, an eternal perspective allows us 
to discern and correctly respond to the times we live in now. Verses 20 through 37 of chapter 13. It's crazy to me how so many cannot see the peril of the times we live in. They don't see how dangerous it is when people think they can choose their gender and what that will lead to. They cannot see the consequences of their sin. You know, they say that cancer is a rebellion of the cell against the DNA. When a cell says, I don't want to obey the DNA, that weird circular ladder that has all the information about every cell and system in our body. When one cell says, you know, and you know what's interesting is that DNA specifies which cells go to which system. When the sperm and egg come together and the cells come together, it creates the DNA strand. And then DNA strand begins to then divide with the ribosome. I hope I'm not going over your heads. And send these cells. You are a heart cell. Go and multiply. You are a brain cell. Really multiply. You are a skin cell. You are a hair cell. You have all these different cells and they're obeying the blueprint that the DNA gives them. And so they are going and I am a muscular cell for the hand. I am a bone cell for the foot. I am a metatarsal cell. You know, they all have these specific functions and they're obeying the DNA. But when one cell says, I don't want to be a heart. I don't want to be part of the heart system. I want to be part of the lung system and it rebels, it begins to multiply that rebellion to the DNA and the body begins to break down. When society begins to disobey the DNA, everything begins to break down. And yet some people cannot see the peril of what's going on. You know, it seems like life is just continuing like it always has. People are getting married, people are buying, people are selling. Things are all going on the same. What do you mean? There's danger. Oh, there's danger afoot. But those with an eternal perspective see the danger. And because they see the danger, they begin to prepare now for eternity. Possessions, earthly possessions lose their value. We're not going to go back into the house and get our possession. Money loses its value. It's only good for what we can do for eternity. Brian said, the earth is like a burning house. And we are the divine firemen. And our job is to get as many out of the burning house as possible to save lives, not possessions, not bank accounts, but to save lives. We live in a burning house. This earth is burning, just like Peter told us, seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved. Everything's on fire right now. Society is breaking down. But those with an eternal perspective can see the breakdown. They can see how dangerous the times are getting. You know, I think about even the United States. We're living on a credit system. We do not have the gold at Fort Knox to support our financial system. That's why we have a national debt. You know what that debt is? That tells you all the money we don't have. But we have all the dollars that say we do, but 
It's paper. It's paper. None of that means anything. Those with an eternal perspective see the perils and the consequences of the times we live in. I love Judge Judy. I just love her. She's mean. I told you last week. But I love her. Because you know what you see? You see all these people ending up in court thinking they have a great defense until they get in front of Judge Judy. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm stupid. Because you're stupid. Don't talk to me. You're stupid. You just look stupid. You got stupid eyes. You know, she says things like that. And then, you know, these couple like, well, we live together. Yeah, you live together. You know what? I can't help you out if you live together. If you want something out of a relationship, get married. Then you can sue them for half. But I can't do anything now. You did this to yourself, you idiot. You know, she talks like that. She just does. And you're sitting there and you're like, oh my goodness, it looked really good, your case, till you got before Judge Judy. And then it's like, oh, I guess, yeah, you know, this is the wrong paper. You thought this paper did me any good? So good. Where are the bank account statements? I, I didn't know I needed them. Stupid. You're come to court. My prayer whenever I watch Judge Judy is, Lord, let me never be in Judge Judy's courtroom. <laughs> the Pharisees failed to recognize the kingdom of God among them. Though they had Moses and the law which pointed to Jesus, though they had the prophets and the prophecies about Jesus, though Jesus healed everyone who came to him, nobody had the record that Jesus did. No one ever spoke like Jesus. And even their own temple guards attested to the fact that no one ever spoke like this man. No one had the authority that Jesus had. No one had the power that Jesus had to deliver people from demons. Nobody had the grace Jesus exhibited. No one had the divine claims that Jesus claimed. Yet the Pharisees who had the scripture and the law and the prophets refused to recognize or regard Jesus. And that refusal was based on holding on to their possessions and their position. And holding on to their possessions and positions would cost them their lives. Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will gain it for eternity. He who loses his life, he who gives his life to Jesus completely will receive abundant life. He who says, you know what? I'm going to do it Jesus way. Not my way, not according to my thinking. You know, an eternal perspective shows you that Jesus' way is the only way and the right way. Every other way, you will lose your life and end up like the rich man tormented in hell. That's the reality. It's not a happy reality. The Pharisees were looking for a political Messiah that would overthrow Rome and give them national independence. But the kingdom of God is internal, and God's kingdom is an overthrow of our hearts, not of Rome. And it's to create a dependency on God, his work, his way. And when the kingdom of God comes into our hearts, the lights go on and we have an eternal perspective.
Jesus gave them a series of signs they were to look for as part of discernment, the proliferation of false prophets. Those would say, everything's going to be all right. Peace, peace. No, you're fine just the way you are. Everything is so good. Just go to sleep. In fact, just watch television. Forget about this. You are what you make yourself. Sweet dreams. And they would keep the people from preparing for the times that did come. In the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Isaiah, you find there's a proliferation of false prophets who are telling the people, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And because they were telling the people these things, they were not prepared for the Babylonian captivity and destruction There is an estimate that after Jesus' resurrection, some 40 different false prophets rose up in Jerusalem who were political, and they opposed Rome, and they told Israel that they would get back their national identity and that they would be saved. There was Barcoba. There was another one that was at Masada, 40 different, all different groups from the Zealots to out of the Pharisees, the Hellenists, they all had these different political messiahs. But all those messiahs died and were buried. Jesus said that those Pharisees, those religious elite, would long to see the days of Jesus, the days when Jesus was preaching, the days when Jesus was among them, but they would not have that opportunity again. And they would be tempted to go after the false prophets and look in the wrong direction, look here, look there. But Jesus' return would be bright like lightning, verse 24, and unmistakable, no way to miss the next one. But first, Jesus would be rejected and suffer. But things would continue with the norms of life, eating, drinking, marrying, buying, selling, planting, building, and no awareness of the impending judgment that Vespasian was about to destroy Jerusalem and everything that they held dear and everything that they were holding on to from their political system to their spiritual system, to their houses, to their bank accounts and to their wealth. And Jesus said, those who are on the housetop, don't let them try to go back down into the house and save as many possessions as they can. Just let them run for their life. And for those who are in the field, don't let them return to the house, but just get to safety. In 70 AD, it said that the Christians looking around and seeing the times and and feeling this sense of impending doom remembered the words of Jesus. And when they saw the Romans begin to build a siege wall around Jerusalem, that they escaped, that they left They left their possessions. They left their houses. They got out of Jerusalem, and in so doing, their lives were spared. Now, Jesus said that there would be a distinction made, not by outward circumstances, but by what was going on in the heart. He likens the conditions. He said, There were two in the same bed. In other words, they were under the same circumstances, these two men. But one is taken 
One is saved and one's not saved. One goes to judgment and one is saved. Two men would be in the field, one saved, the other not saved. In other words, the distinctions would not be because of gender, because of work, or because of circumstances, but because of the eternal perspective of the heart. If eternity was in the heart, because that one had accepted the one who he himself is life, eternal life, they would be saved. But if they refused, they would go on to judgment where the vultures are. The rapture will make the distinction between those who will be saved and those who will go on to judgment on the earth. It's not by the outward circumstances, but by the internal. But if we have the eternal perspective right now, we will have discernment. Right now, we will see because the eternal kingdom of God will already be ruling and reigning in our life. Because when Jesus comes in, he who is eternal and the eternal one reigns in our heart and gives us that eternal life, our perspective is totally changed. We see more than we have ever seen before. We see what the world can't say. They're like, I don't understand what your problem is. I don't understand why you're bothered by this. You're like, you don't understand why I'm bothered by this. I'm thinking about the children. I'm thinking about the breakdown in the families. I'm thinking about the children who want a father and a mother. I'm thinking about the future and the future generations. I'm thinking about the emotional security. I'm thinking about the mental health of the young ones. I'm thinking about these things. When you have an eternal perspective, life on earth becomes temporary and everything in life becomes preparatory for where we are going. And everything we have becomes an entrustment, not an ownership. Whether it's money and possessions or our righteousness, people who come into our lives, offenses, the gifts of God, The times we live in are all meant to be used for the glory of God. It's an entrustment. When you have eternity in your heart, you'll have an eternal perspective on all the things of this earth and you will seek to use what God has given you today for his glory We are all living in the shadow of eternity, and now is the time to prepare for heaven. I have a friend, she's in her 90s, and she does a Bible study, and everyone in her Bible study is in their late 80s or early 90s. And she looked at him and she said, you know, girls, what are you doing to prepare for heaven? Because you're going to be there really soon, and so am I. And she began to tell them how she's using everything she has for eternity and the investments she's made. She's not investing in Wall Street. She's investing in lives. She's investing in ministries. She is using what God has given her to invest in lives. She writes letters of encouragement to children and grandchildren and people that she's known in her life. She is preparing because she knows at 92 that any day now the angels are going to come and carry her into eternity. And she wants to be so prepared for that homegoing. 
those of us who have the eternal kingdom of God in our hearts have that eternal perspective. And we need to, again, be reminded that eternity is on our doorstep and to make today count for the glory of God, to take everything that we have that's been entrusted with to us and say, Lord, how can we use this for your glory? How can I mother my children for your glory? How can I minister to my grandchildren for your glory? How can I use the position you've put me in for your glory? He's put eternity in our hearts. When you have an eternal perspective, life on earth becomes temporary and everything becomes about preparing for heaven. Everything we have, whether it be money, possessions, family, our righteousness, or even offenses, are an entrustment and are meant to be used for the glory of God. We are all living in the shadow of eternity, and now is the time to prepare for heaven. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Luke 18 and four aspects of faith as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.